Hey, everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio's military show. We do this every first Monday where we get to chat with Mike Guardia. He is an award-winning author, a military historian, a U.S. Army veteran, an educator, and uh, he has done, I, oh my gosh, I think it's 25 books. Every time he comes on the show, he reminds me, and I go, what? How did you do that? Um, he is. He was named Author of the Year in 2021 by the Military Writers Society of America. His latest books uh, to go get, Coyote Recon, The Forgotten Wars of Colonel J.D. Vanderpool, and The Combat Diaries, True Stories from the Front Lines of World War II. I encourage you to go to his website, MikeGuardia.com. You may have seen him on the History Channel series, I Was There, and I think he's got more coming out on that. And if you follow him on YouTube, you'll see all kinds of cool footage, military and battle footage, and then also his Retro Wave History Podcast. So welcome back, Mike. How are you? Hey, ladies. I'm doing great. Always a pleasure to be on the show. Hey, it's good to have you back on. We're going to be talking about celebrities who served in the military. And as soon as we started talking about this, we said, well... We've got to bring Steve Schneider, Hollywood historian, back on this show with you. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing well, thank you. Hi, Mike. Oh. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Steve. Hi. So, Steve, um, have you ever really looked at that part on the Hollywood history side, going, have they served? Or, you know, when you look at, you know, all the careers, because I know you focus on their acting and everything, which is going to be cool, because we'll talk with Mike about, okay, this is who served what and where, but it's, it, mm-hmm. do you ever look at the military side of, of the actors? Well, sometimes if it, um, if I'm preparing it that way, looking at their bios, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I think mm-hmm. this all started when uh, Nancy and I did one of our Big Daily Blend podcasts that you both are on for today's show. And this is, um, you know, we do our show every first Monday, like I was saying with Mike, and then it airs on all of our platforms. Uh, but then we do our big daily blend, which is always a music and conversation podcast, pop culture, what happened in history. And we mm-hmm. air the day show, which is this one, too. And we did this, uh, you know, I was going to say a month ago. I, I don't know when when Lee Marvin was born. We we're like, oh, it's Lee Marvin time. And I started talking about Lee Marvin because he was also a friend of uh, artist Ted DeGrazia in Tucson, where we're based out of. And uh, we do a lot on DeGrazia Gallery in the Sun and the artist Ted DeGrazia. And we're like, okay, these two used to drink together in the art studio. Then, Steve, we all looked at Lee Marvin's photo and said, you guys look alike. I'm just saying. Even Mike says, <laughs> no, right? People, people, yeah. have, people have told me that even way it's back, true. even 20, yeah. 30 years ago. Mike, yeah. didn't, is that one of the first things you said about Mike, about Steve, um, <laughs> about Lee Marvin? You said he looks like him. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> he, he does. You guys look alike, you know. But Lee Marvin, what I really didn't realize how cool this guy was. I mean, I understand in acting, which I know Steve can get into, but I mean, he did so much military wise. But what really connected me about this with getting Mike to talk about him today is. His story, to me, kind of runs parallel lines with J.D. Vanderpool, uh, who is your your main, you know, what, what you wrote his book about his life. Um, it seems that Lee Marvin's beginning of his life, uh, Mike, kind of goes with J.D. Vanderpool of kind of having this like rough childhood and mm-hmm. seeking, going out into the woods and kind of, I don't know, hunting and carrying on and, and surviving, being becoming a survivalist, really. 
Right. Yeah. You know, it, it's a, uh, I, I've actually noticed that that is a common thread with a lot of these latter day heroes is that, uh, you know, they, they have some part of their upbringing that is either very traumatic or one that is really geared towards the rough and tumble pioneer stock lifestyle that you really don't see too much of these days. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're, they're folks who in many ways learn to live off the land and, you know, they even use their love of the great outdoors as a form of escapism. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really sets the foundation for what sets them up for military success. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, and Lee Marvin was also injured on duty. I just want to, uh, he, he was. was a scout. He was a scout sniper in the Pacific theater. Mm-hmm. So I know he was, he, he finished the school of infantry. He was in the United States Marine Corps, um, mm-hmm. but he served in the fourth Marine division as a scout sniper. So what exactly is a scout sniper? I mean, to me, the sniper means you're going to like be, you know, stealth and get people. Yeah. Is, that, is that what we're talking about? Like he was like, right. you know, Ooh, yeah, so scout snipers, they fall uh, under this blanket organization called STA, Sur- Surveillance and Target Acquisition. And basically what a scout sniper does is it combines it combines the stealth of a scout with the deadly marksmanship of a sniper. You'll have these two-man sniper teams. You'll have a sniper and you'll have a spotter. And uh, they will go out ahead of any formation or they'll go out to the flanks of any formation. And what they'll do is they will uh, keep eyes on what they call HVTs, high value targets. And uh, they'll set up uh, these very surgical strike operations for um, people who have been identified by the various levels of intel to uh, have a high yield value if they get taken out. So you'll have so you'll have these uh, two man scout sniper teams who will go out and say maybe ahead of a big assault they'll say okay well there's an enemy encampment here and if you get this one commander or this one officer or this one uh, high value person who's working for the enemy it's going to uh, have a very good downstream effect for us when we uh, when we make our uh, when when we make our m- main body assault. Mm. So is that I mean, is is that true for like World War One and Two, or is that really more like Vietnam? Well, it it's it's really true, no matter what conflict you have snipers in. You know, I mean, it's going to be mm. uh, it, it, it's mm. going to be a uh, sniper team that is going to be doing surgical strikes, and if there's not an identifiable HVT then mm. there's going to be uh, then there's going to be some sniper nests that are going to be set up at various points and uh you know the snipers are just going to start targeting personnel and uh particularly high ranking personnel from an area of both cover and concealment and uh mm. you know the whole the whole idea there is really just to uh you know is really to try to disrupt the enemy formation and also try to stop their advance because fewer things will stop an enemy advance quicker than a sniper. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm. Well, there, yeah. So that's what Lee Marvin was doing. Private. He was a uh, private Lee Marvin, and mm-hmm. um, so I mean, he, he seemed to have quite a, a good career in World War II, right? Um, mm-hmm. Pacific Theater went further than that, and then. 
He went in, what he participated in 21 Japanese islands landings. And that's when he was wounded in action, June 18th, 1944. Oh, wow. So 21 Japanese islands. Like, tell us about that. I mean, is that like, you know, that's when the is it when the military, the US military goes in and then you jump off whatever you're jumping off of and go for it. Like is 21 times, or is that a name of something that I don't know about? Obviously, I don't know about it at all. Yeah, well, um, this was all part of the island hopping campaign in the Pacific. So uh, when he's jumping onto 21 islands, that means there are 21 different assaults on different islands that he's participating in. You know, uh, a lot of times what we found ourselves doing in a lot of the different parts of this island hopping campaign was you would have these cluster of islands, they would be atolls, and you know, mm-hmm. you would have to assault one particular island in one archipelago, and then you would have to go to another smaller island that was part of that same larger chain. But mm-hmm. uh, for all of those different landings, there were 21 different ones that he did all throughout uh, 1944. And I think the biggest one that he was a part of was the Battle of Saipan. And, uh, you know, these were these were some meat grinder battles where, you know, if you survived, you were actually in the minority because it was uh, when he was at the Battle of Saipan. I think uh, of of the company that he was in, I I think that company suffered upwards of 80 percent casualties. Oh, wow. Wow, that's that's. And so and then, he I mean, he really did get he got hit by machine gunfire and. Um, mm-hmm. hit in the foot by a sniper but it's uh, from what i'm reading you know wikipedia thank you um a, a year of medical treatment in naval hospitals and then so he was giving medical dis, uh, discharge with rank of private first class um and he was cor- was rank of a corporal but he was demoted for troublemaking what did he do not well, a boy. does that not surprise you no it doesn't really but um you know he that's it, so he was a naughty, you know, he he was a troublemaker. But I mean, Maybe. Wh- where's that line on that? Because he's so heavily decorated with Purple Heart, mm-hmm. uh, the Navy Commendation Medal um, with a V device. What's that mean? See, I don't know what I'm reading at all. Mike, what's okay. a V device? So if you have a Commendation Medal with a V device, the V device actually stands for Valor. And... Oh. And uh, there are different ways that you can get the V device. Now, sometimes you can get a commendation medal with a V device for valor simply if you participate in a battle. Mm. You don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to do something that anyone would subjectively call valor as long as you were present at a battle when it was going on, you can get the V device for valor. That's, uh, that's the standard that the Navy and the Marine Corps applies to it. Um, other times the threshold for getting the V device is a lot higher. Like you actually have to have, um, done something and someone has to have witnessed it where you, uh, saved someone's life or you held off an enemy advance or, uh, Mm. you, you put yourself in the line of fire beyond what was normally expected to you. It's, it's, it's a pretty hard standard to, to formalize, but essentially the, the, the broadest stroke I can paint would probably be is if you did something that was beyond what the normal call of duty would be, but not rising to the level 
that someone would say is deserving of the Medal of Honor, but you know, what standard do you actually apply to that? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you get a battle with the fog of battle. I mean, if you do something that saves somebody's life, you know, you deserve some sort of recognition. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, it just becomes it becomes a yeah. devil of a chore to try to figure out, okay, well, does this person deserve a commendation medal with a V device? Do they deserve a silver star? Do they deserve a bronze star? Or do they deserve the medal? Yeah. Of yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's, he's, he's definitely got, you know, he's got the American campaign medal, Asiatic Pacific campaign medal, World War II victory medal, presidential mm-hmm. unit, citation, combat action ribbon. I mean, he's obviously done it. What's interesting to me about him being going into acting is that I wonder, like when he was a sniper mm-hmm. going into focus, and Steve, please comment on this as an actor. You understand that focus part. But mm-hmm. I feel like there's something very tied in. And, and all the people we're going to talk about on today's show is that when you're, it's a life and death thing. And yet you're carrying out a mission, not just life or death. Like you're, you know, you've got the worry of like, I don't want to get shot. I don't want to get killed. But I also want to carry out this mission. So the focus is so intense. And here you are in different lands. Like, I don't know if he went to Japan. But he understood focus from hunting, right? Hunting animals in the Everglades. But I wonder if that, like, is part of, like, it carries, it takes the noise out of your head from your past, in a way, when you're fo- you're so focused on what's in front of you. And Steve, I want to go to you on that first. On yeah. the theater s- stage, like, do you think that that happens for people when they are on stage in as an actor? I mean, I know as a singer, like, you can't be worried about, like, your bills or anything else in your head. Like, okay, did I eat the right amount of this for whatever? I don't know. Whatever. You can't you can't hear anything else other than what you're doing on that stage in that moment. So do you think that's part of, like, what made him a good actor was that focus? Oh, of course. You need to focus. Mm. You need to stay in the moment. Mm. You need to be yeah. able to listen to the other actors. Mm-hmm. for a proper response because when yeah. you're acting you don't yeah. you don't want people to see you act yeah you know what i mean you, mm-hmm. but yeah focusing mm-hmm. most important and you also have to be aware if you're on stage of the audience of their reactions mm-hmm. so you could pause mm-hmm. so you don't keep talking and then they you know the audience if they're laughing or clapping they miss what you're saying. Mm. So it's a good amount of focusing you have to do being mm. an actor. In, in music, you yeah. have to be able to read the band and the band has to read you. Like it's like a marriage. Well, it's about just timing. It's, it's about timing. Timing and just look, a look knows, oh yeah, you're supposed to hit this. We're going to this note. We're going to this time mm-hmm. change or <laughs> this. But a good change. band leader or a good um Orchestra leader, they follow you. Mm. That's their job to follow yeah. the singer. So, what is you know, Mike? With that, I mean, doesn't that go the same in regards to going into battle? Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, because uh, there's a, there's a popular mantra for 
any combat arms unit that says when you go into battle, you shoot, move, and communicate. And uh, that communication part is is probably the most important thing because, you know, without proper tight communication, you know, things Mm -hmm. will get lost in the shuffle and uh, everyone's confused and combat is confusing enough as it is. So you need uh, tight communication and you need, uh, you need solid rehearsals in order to uh, put everything into muscle memory and, know what to do when you know everything starts going to hell in a handbasket mm-hmm. and that can I happen on the stage I, I our band broke up on stage which was really funny but not but was it's funny now it wasn't when it happened but it was funny then even <laughs> it's i mean it really seriously and it was a lack, a, totally a lack of communication between the drummer and our percussionist. Like those two didn't like each other, I guess. And you I can't, don't know. you can't, you can't have the drummer, percussionist, and the bass player. Yeah, because you're supposed that. to. I mean, yeah, you're supposed to well, be the, with the same beat. A drummer and that a percussionist, but we had a, a like a timbale and and. A, bongos and everything so percussionist but it doesn't sound like they were it doesn't sound like they were team players um no there there was a little um i actually think that the drummer we had at the time was a little racist and our percussionist Mm -hmm. is latino yeah who served in the marines too um yeah uh, eddie was awesome he was a gun sergeant awesome yep he was he was an amazing amazing no mm -hmm. one can sing under the boardwalk like him you know, yeah, dude, he was awesome. He was awesome. I mean, there's definitely people out but there. The but the other dude, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But let's, Steve, mm-hmm. go back to Lee Marvin on this with his mm-hmm. acting. Tell us some of the highlights that you think about in in his career that that we should we should be looking on because to me, he did quite he did quite a bit, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, he, he did really a lot. did. Mm. Uh. A few of my favorites, I really enjoyed him in Capaloo, mm-hmm. 1965, that yeah. he won his Oscar for, for Best Actor. And then mm-hmm. he was also really good, even though the movie wasn't quite so good, was Paint Your Wagon. Oh. I love Paint Your Wagon. And that's I Was Born Under a Wandering Star song. I know. There, right? Mm-hmm. I love that. that. The movie is so different from the stage musical. Mm-hmm. Has yeah. nothing to do with what Lerner and Lowe actually wrote. Oh wow! But they made sure. it for a star vehicle for Lee Marvin and also for Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really enjoyed him. You know, one of the first films I saw were was The Dirty Dozen. Mm-hmm. Mm. with him mm. which that that's a wonderful wonderful war movie yeah that's the thing too he, he played war movies like, and also mm. attack wasn't he was an attack it looks like a, a you know military movie so i wonder what that was like to go and like, have the real experience and then go perform it you know what i mean mm-hmm. that's got to have been kind of interesting to do too well Probably does a better job than someone who's, you know, not done it. Yeah, maybe, yeah, not done it. Yeah, I mean, it's and and yeah. he was he was also in the Virginian. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, the Virginian. And uh, I just, I thought he had an amazing singing voice too, you know? Beyond, <laughs> I, come on, I know. It's, I know. <laughs> I like it. You oh, know? I'm not I putting him down. He, I, he, did, he did the best he could. Yeah. I have respect no, I, for I, anyone who could get in front of the camera or up on a stage mm -hmm. or behind a microphone, mm -hmm. no matter how they do. I'm not going to judge them. No, but I love I was born under a water. That's what it star, is. Yeah, that it speaks fun. to me big yeah. time. But what I like about or felt that was really fun about Painter Wagon was Clint Eastwood walking about across the grass plains saying, I talked to the trees and there weren't any trees. <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> well, hey, that's Clint, why they didn't listen to him. Well, I know, Eastwood, because they couldn't hear him. <laughs> well, he wasn't by any trees. It was I, so I, weird. But Clint Eastwood also served in the military. Yep. Yes, I didn't he did. know that. I saw mm -hmm. that this list I was looking at, I didn't know that he served mm -hmm. as well. You yeah. know, and I mean, he's his movies are all kind of Bad, badassy you know what I mean um yeah there's yeah. just so many so many that uh, was it really mostly World War II do you think uh, Mike that we had so many actors stand up and go in because of what was going on and then obviously Vietnam later but it seemed that a lot of these actors it was World War II that yeah. they, they went in mm -hmm. yeah I I really think that there was one a function of the time and also a function of the conflict because you know here we had a war that we uh knew that we were going to be in sooner or later mm -hmm. whether we liked it or not and uh mm -hmm. the fact that we entered uh as as a result of the japanese attack on pearl harbor yeah you know it, it mm -hmm. was a uh it was a premeditated attack it was uh you know it was to a level not quite but it was uh, it was to a level similar to what we saw in the aftermath of 9-11, where yeah. uh, where we had this surge of patriotism. And, you know, when we're attacked on our own soil, you know, that galvanizes a uh, galvanizes a big portion of the population. And uh, mm -hmm. being that we knew what was happening in Europe and we knew what was at stake if we let the Japanese conquer the Pacific, you know, you mm -hmm. had a, a wide swath of the population who were able bodied to say, hey, send me, let's go. And yep. uh, patriotism was much more of a common virtue back then than it is today. And uh -huh. uh, that's why you saw a lot of, you know, Hollywood screen icons who in many ways saw themselves as role models, you know, say, hey, uh, you know, I, uh, I feel compelled to set aside my acting career for the benefit of the country and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, fulfill my uh, role not only as a role model, but, you know, if, hey, if, if I'm going to live up to uh, my persona, on the silver screen, you know, then I need to, uh, I need to put my money where my mouth is and mm -hmm. I need to go yep. serve my country because Absolutely. I'm an American, just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you, you had a lot of, uh, you had a lot of very well-established actors who ended up serving in the military. And uh, not only that, you had, uh, you had some up and coming actors who, uh, who uh, served on the front lines in world war two, and then they became big stars after the war. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was, it, and there, there was no, I'll say this, there was no discrimination as to whether or not you were a big star or whether you were a character actor, because, uh, you know, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these Hollywood, um, 
Hollywood players, they they uh, signed up in droves. You know, the biggest one being Clark Gable, mm-hmm. who was the number one box office star in America at that point. And uh, yeah, he actually thought to try to get in because at that point he was considered too old. And, oh wow! Yeah. Yeah, and the 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 then wow. also of course he had Jimmy Stewart, who was also mm-hmm. a mega star at, at mm-hmm. the time. And uh, you mm-hmm. know he not only uh, yeah he not only served with valor, you know, flying combat missions over Europe. He stayed in the Air Force Reserve for. A number of years afterwards and uh you know ended up retiring at the rank of brigadier general to say yeah. nothing of the fact that he also did a few observation missions in vietnam as well mm-hmm. uh you know so you had uh you you had guys like that you also had eddie albert who um many of us know from green acres yeah he uh <laughs> he mm-hmm. on the front lines and uh you know you also had uh you also had up and coming um you know, also had these up, up and coming character actors at the time, you know, like Charles Bronson, who really became mm-hmm. a megastar after oh, yeah. the war. Yeah. Huge, huge star. But yeah. don't leave out Chris Christopherson. You can't mm-hmm. leave out Nancy. I have to, I, well, yeah, I have to go there because he did serve in the military from a military family. And he, he served as a helicopter pilot and he was a captain. Yeah. Well, and okay, this is what I want to go back to is the the two that um, two of the actors that were in MASH were actually, I mean, they served Mike Farrell, uh, Mm -hmm. served in the army for two years Mm -hmm. during the Korean War time. And uh, also, oh, gee, Alan Alda. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So much fun. Yeah. Uh, so and Jamie Farr as well. Wow, there's three then. Yeah, I wonder if he took his dresses with him. I know yeah, that's what I, I was thinking because even when I I'm looking at the photos, but yeah. I think that's what made Bash so much fun. It's because they had real experience. Yeah, yeah. He and and Red Skelton toured with him. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Red Skelton. Wow. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, to I think it's. It's a way of working through it too, like performing it, you know, is a way to work through it. Like this is what it was like. And like we've talked before, my Korean War is something everyone just always talks about the Vietnam War versus the Korean War. Right. You know? So that's a it's an interesting thing. MASH do, when you watch things like MASH, uh Mike, do you look at things or are they are you look at like any war movie and see if it's you know correct or like is it yeah Mm -hmm. or can you just get into it and go okay i'll watch it again and then pick on it (laughs) (laughs) no well the first time i typically see a war picture i watch it just for the enjoyment Mm -hmm. and uh i usually won't try to put a critical eye towards it until after the credits roll because you know like i'll enjoy the movie and then I'll say, wow, hey, that was really great. And then I remember this one scene. And then as I'm thinking about that scene, uh, a few hours after the movie's over, I'll be like, you know what? That really would not have gone over well if that had happened in real life. Because in my experience, I know this, this, and this. And, uh, you know, one of the mm-hmm. films that I actually caught myself doing that to. <laughs> and it's funny because uh, I had grown up on this film that was Red Dawn. And... Mm-hmm. 
And uh, like I, I had seen that movie at least a dozen times as a kid and always loved it. And it's still one of my all time favorite war pictures. Um, but then uh, about uh, I think about two and a half years into my active duty tour, I watched it again. Oh, I watched the first mm -hmm. one and then I saw that God awful remake. <laughs> and uh, and and uh, and after I had that little. Mm. Many movie marathon of watching both of those back to back side by side. I was like, yeah, you know that point where they tried to ambush the Russians. I noticed that there was no search and demo team. I noticed that there wasn't this. I was like, you know, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have proper flank security. I mean, it was after the credits rolled. I was like, man, they, there were so many things that, uh, you know, that I knew to be part and parcel to an ambush operation that uh, they just did not have. But yeah, it, it, it's it's always funny. And a lot of us in the veterans community have actually commented on this. It's like you never look at mm -hmm. these war pictures the same way after you've served because, you know, you can like make an entire drinking game out of, you know, trying to find like all the little tactical mistakes. Sure. Yeah. Well, it, but, but and that's, that's also Hollywood. Hollywood yeah, it's their theatrical license. Yeah, it's called that's the what they call acting. Things. Yeah, they call it acting and they make it for okay acting and being on screen mm -hmm. at the end of the day the result is you have to market what you just produced mm -hmm. and so things are changed to be able to more market what you just produced but and you know you can't be 100% accurate because you weren't there and you really don't you can't know. you can't anyway because of time, time yeah. constraints don't and, allow, and that doesn't allow it. Like even in writing a book, you're gonna have to chop out half the babies. Well, mm -hmm. and, and because well, market marketability is how are you gonna disperse yeah. what you just mm -hmm. produce, whether it's a book or a play or yeah. a movie. But and I get it. Have, I mean, but it's, it's kind of good for both sides. I think it's good for both sides well, because well, for you guys who have been in the interest. Yeah, you guys get to see it in two different ways. Like we we wouldn't know what to look for. But when I see people do movies like on South Africa, I am oh, called, gosh. Yes, we're we're and, like, you know, oh like when they put Winnie Mandela as the sweetest person, like no, oh, no, we just like, are you kidding me? She did this, and, this, and this. You... We watched it. But you know, so when I want to but... go go you know, we were talking about Clark Gable, Jimmy Stewart, Eddie Albert, all mm -hmm. these, you know, amazing people, but I find the Clark Gable's kind of interesting. Do you think because it was also didn't he lose his his love at that time and then kind right, of right? Carol Lombard, nineteen forty two, coming back from selling war bombs. The plane oh. flew into a mountain in uh, Nevada, mm. and so it wow. took everybody on board, including twenty two army people that were coming into um, Nevada for training. But it um, killed Carol, her mom, and her press agent. Oh. And that devastated him. Yeah. And that's mm. when he decided he wanted to go in, even though he was 43 years old. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, as Mike had stated earlier. That, because I know that when, when we lived in uh, outside, tw in 29 Palms outside Joshua Tree, would go up through to Vegas to print our magazine way back in the ancient times of magazine printing and mm -hmm. um, Good Springs, Nevada. 
it's kind of on the border. It's kind of near, like you got Prim and then where you can see the Bonnie and Clyde car. Mm -hmm. uh, that's all shot up. It's kind of cool. Um, yeah. But Good Springs, different. Nevada, there's this little <laughs> saloon. And that's, they used to hang out there. Uh, Carol Lombard mm -hmm. and, and him a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, through the Southwest, he, he you know, he was mm -hmm. all over the place. But the two of them, Oatman, Arizona. Mm -hmm. um, but but Good Springs, you know, was a bit, I wonder if how close that airplane was to there, you know, where they went down. Because, they, I mean, but I know it's so close to L.A. too. But do mm -hmm. you think, you know, that, didn't he also play in war movies? Yes. Well. Okay. I'll let Mike take over that. Yeah. Oh, the war movies. Yeah. Did you have you mm -hmm. watched any of that, Mike? Have you watched any, any of which Clark one Gables? now? Have you? Well, I don't know. There's a lot that he's done. Clark Gable. Have you watched any Clark Gable movies? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen Gone with the Wind and. Uh, oh yeah, that's a war movie. You know, yeah, big one. Huh? Yeah, Civil War. Yeah. You bet. Mm -hmm. And Mogambo was pretty good. Mm -hmm. ah. And, uh, you know, one that, uh, let's see, one that um, I I really wanted to see but have not seen yet is Soldier of Fortune, because mm -hmm. that, I think, is probably one of the good war film tropes to come um, uh, out of Hollywood during the mid-50s. And it, it is on my bucket list, but I haven't seen it yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, I haven't seen that either. Me neither. That I can recall. Yeah. Wow. So what about Ronald Reagan? Okay. Yeah. So you're Ronald, that's, yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. So at the time, Ronald Reagan was actually an Army reservist. Uh, he had been a reservist um, since, right. I think it was right before he actually made it a, 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 as a Hollywood player. Um, so he, mm -hmm. he, entered in, he entered into the Army Reserves in April of 1937. And that was right around the kind that was right around the time that he signed his contract with Warner Brothers. And you know, throughout most of the uh late 30s and early 40s, he was on the rise as a uh well, he had some leading roles in some of the B movie pictures and supporting roles in the A's. And uh, you know, right around the time when uh, he was starting to reach what I think would be Hollywood star status, you know, with Newt Rockney and King's Row. Uh, mm -hmm. That's when he got uh, called up as a reservist for a stint as an active duty officer. Um, but the thing that kept him from going overseas was his myopia. And uh, there's this there, there, there's this um, uh, popular urban legend out there, which may be true, um, but uh, it uh, it recounts um, a conversation that he had with one of the examining medical officers. You know, as, as he was trying to go overseas, they said, you know, hey, we know you're already in the reserves and we want to call you up for active duty. But, man, we can't uh, send you overseas because you're so nearsighted. He said, you know, with oh. our luck, uh, with our luck, you would probably shoot at a general and you would miss him. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. That's, that's why so I couldn't open the bag of jelly beans. Probably. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So what he did throughout the duration of his active duty tour during the war was, uh, you know, he he stayed he stayed uh, stateside and ended up making training films um, for the Army Air Forces. Hmm. 
So, oh. so that's what he did as 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 an active duty Air Force officer, excuse me, an active duty um, Army officer. And you know, since the Air Force was still part of the Army um, at this point, yeah, you know, he was transferred over to the uh, Army Air Forces where he served out the remainder of his tour. But uh, yeah, he uh, he he did that uh, throughout uh, the next three years. You know, from 1942 to 45, and uh, was even a participant in one of the war bond drives and mm-hmm. uh, he, he 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 was incredibly busy throughout that time he made something to the effect of i think it was like 400 training films so if wow, you take 400 no training way. films uh yeah 400 training oh. films over the course of only three years so he was a very busy man he was not by any means idle throughout the war oh wow, wow. i did not know that about him you know you know the, they, training they, films it's not like we have like you know youtube editors you know no, but the only th- thing I remember about one film I saw him in that I can remember, I might have seen more, but he just woke up, he was in bed, and he was like, his legs were amputated for some reason. And he was like, Brandy, where's the rest of me? And he kept screaming that. And I was like, well, I don't know what that film was. Maybe, Steve, you yeah. might know that. Those kids were- <laughs> no. No, I don't know. Okay, did, did he just get I mean, it was that one? Uh, usually with his films, you know, like Mike had mentioned, King's Row and mm. uh, Newt Rockney, of course, he, you know, it was win one for the Gipper. Uh, mm. also, the, uh, Bedtime for Bronzo <laughs> mm. and uh, Dark Victory with Betty Davis and Humphrey Bogart. Mm. Okay. And then, of course, his TV stints and also becoming uh, president of Screen Actors Guild. Oh, yeah. See, there you go. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to research it now. I know. It's, it's like <laughs> because, a whole other. Yeah. yeah. Where's I mean, the rest of me? That's from King's Row. Oh, yeah, that's it, oh is it? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, okay. Go, Mike. Mike's got it. He's yeah. Got it. Because I was thinking that, but I was waiting for Mike to chime in. No, but well, he did, but yeah, no, I just that's the one film that's the only film I've ever seen with Ronald Reagan in it, and that's the one thing I remember of mm-hmm. it. I, I don't remember the rest of it, I just remembered that was such a scene he, that was what, so gr- what, grippy. Why was he so big in central California? I mean, even like you know. Like when we oh, a few years ago, like he was, I mean, we, we were out in Central California. I think we were in San Benito County. We went to the fairgrounds and they were getting ready for their county fair. And all the, po- the political booths had big cardboard cutouts of Ronald Reagan for people to vote Republican. Like everywhere you go in Central California, in the heartland, not necessarily on the coast, mm-hmm. but that area. It's like, you better vote, you know, according to Ronald Reagan, right? I mean, people I know love, love, love Ronald Reagan. And then I know his mm-hmm. museum is down near Ventura area, but more on the inland side. So it's all mm-hmm. the Central Valley, basically, San Joaquin Valley. What did, was, why, what's going on with this? What happened there that he's made such a huge impact? Like, it's it's pretty interesting. He, I mean, I know Sacramento is close, but I mean, he just... Well, him becoming reason. governor of California, then yeah, becoming right. president yeah. of the United States. 
Mm-hmm. He was loved. I mean, and still loved. I should say was. You know, you know still- and but you know, when during World War II and such, he was actually a Democrat. Mm-hmm. He changed over to become a Republican. Right. Mm-hmm. During late 50s, early 60s, I believe. Oh wow. Oh, that's kind of interesting because didn't Arnold Schwarzenegger do the other the opposite? Lots of people did. Lots of people change parties if they don't like the leader of the party at the given moment that they're Mm -hmm. supposed to Mm -hmm. vote. And if you don't like, yeah, I've done that. I'm being Hmm. very, you know. I just okay, but now listen. This is very important. This is very Mike. Mike, I know. I know you're gonna get like how cool this is, and I know you already know. You know, Mr. T was in the military, right? Yeah, that's uh-huh. so cool. Yeah. Come on. Is that not the coolest? Like, come on. He was in the A-team and he served in the military and he was a policeman. Mm-hmm. Uh, come mm-hmm. on. That's he's I, I love Mr. T. Don't you love the A-team and Mr. T? I pity the fool. <laughs> yeah. Come on. No, I just, exactly. Dude. I, but, you know, he has the look. Like if you came into combat and he just Don't looked at you, that. I'd be okay. Here's my gun. Bye. Mm-hmm. No, he, he could he could scalp you. <laughs> yes, all you have to do is put all you have to do is put one of his gold chains around your neck and you'd go down. No, he just looks at you and like he has a soft look, but he also has a hard look. And he'd look at you like I will kill you and eat your feet, and uh, I'm out of yeah. there. Hey, and Bob Hope, we can't not talk about Bob Hope in the military, right? Right, Um, the USO. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he He did so much. Yeah. Mike, when when you served, did you see any USO tours or any music tours come through while you were in service? Uh, Not USO tours, but there were plenty of USOs that I stayed at. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, those are like a beacon light, um, anywhere you go, you know, I mean, if there is a, uh, if there's a USO someplace, uh, they will take you in, you can rest your head, you can yeah. get, uh, any number of free meals. And I, I have to tell you the, the swankiest USO that I was ever at. And I, I, I don't know if it's still there. I would imagine it is. Um, but the, uh, the, the best USO that I ever stayed at was at the Seattle Tacoma airport, uh, oh. because, Oh. Uh, and this particular USO, I, I, I don't know who was bankrolling the interior design for this particular one, but it was hmm. it was on par with like a five star resort. They had like mahogany wood paneling walls and they had. Like wow. These wow. Wow. Oh, that's cool. I mean, like these bunk bed cots that any number of soldiers could sleep in. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I, I've never I've never before or since seen a USO that was that well done. I mean, hmm. you know, and they had like wow. uh, they had like any Sweet. variety of buffet item foods there. I'm like, oh my God, man, this is you got cool. heaven there. Yeah. That's cool. cool. I mean, my that's God, awesome. Is better than the it is. And the and, yeah. Oh, that's nice. cool. But you didn't get to have any music come in. That's that to me is the cool part. Like you gotta have the music, but you get good food. That's that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. You know, that's cool. Now, I got to go to Dennis France, NYPD Blue. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. he was and he went to combat in Vietnam, the 82nd Airborne. So so he's in the army. So when it's the 82nd Airborne, that means is he flying off helicopters and and going into combat? What happens when it says airborne? 
So airborne means that he's a paratrooper. Ooh, mm. yeah. So he is a badass. Like, yeah. Wow. I would never have thought, like, you know what I mean? That he did that. But apparently no, no, he's, he's, he's really got bad. the same personality on TV. Serious. Yeah. Like, don't, you don't mess with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Gene Wilder was a medic. Mm. This is incredible. Like when you just look, so Vietnam, so we were talking really about a lot of World War II. There's some World War I, but um, Vietnam was also a big one too. And it looks like Kirk Douglas was pretty intense as well. Submarine chasers a unit. What? Oh my God. What's a submarine chase? Oh, that's the name of the unit. But so he was in, in submarines. Wow. In World War II. Wow. And he got injured and was then released in 1944. Wow. I had no idea about that with him. And Leonard Neboy, come on. Mm-hmm. Apparently mm-hmm. he was in there. I'm just like looking over these. But come on, Mike, tell us tell us the story of Julia Childs because she's a celebrity too and she's been left off this, this big list. Well, I didn't see her in there. And Sammy Davis Jr., by the way, I think that's cool that people should know. And but, even um, Don Rickles. Don Rickles, like I yeah. can't imagine anybody telling Don Rickles what to do without him telling, saying what oh, to I do. Know. Can you imagine? I can't imagine like that. that. Like, could you? But like, I mean, do this, and he'd be like, "What?" No, and no, then, it'd be like, "Oh, you know, go whatever yeah. yourself." You know, that's. But kinda... then also, if he was like your sergeant or captain or major, oh boy. Mm-hmm. Oh, George Jefferson. Sherman Hemsley from George Jefferson. He also joined the Air Force and served four years. So don't mess with George Jefferson. Um, but still, still um, Mike, tell everybody about Julia Childs because no one believes me about her being a spy really? for World War II. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, here is an incredibly interesting story. Uh, one that I actually wrote about in a roundabout way when I made the combat diaries because uh, one of the veterans that was featured in that book actually served alongside her in the OSS. So mm. um, so the setup here is 1942. You have the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, which is the forerunner to the modern day CIA. And mm-hmm. uh, you know what, what um, I, I think gets underreported a lot in the popular history is that, uh, you know, you had a big swath of the female population who wanted to join and serve in the war effort. You know, mm-hmm. you, every branch of the armed forces had its own, had its own special uh, core of all women volunteers. You know, you, mm-hmm. you had the women's army corps, the, the wax, you know, you had the mm-hmm. wasps in the army air force. You had the waves in the Navy you had yep, the spars in yep. the Coast Guard, and then you also had the then you also had the Marine Corps Women's Reserve, and uh, you know a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of Latter Day celebrities uh, that themselves would end up serving in one of these units. You know, B. Arthur from the Golden Girls, mm-hmm. she, she she was a uh, she, she was a Marine Corps reservist. Wow! And yeah, yeah she was a truck driver. Uh huh. Wow, that's yeah. cool. I'm glad yeah, you brought yeah. that up. Mm-hmm. And so in the case of Julia Child, uh, what kept her from enlisting in any one of these women's organizations was actually her height. She was very tall for a woman. Mm-hmm. And and uh, yes, yeah, she was nearly 6'2". And 
you know, they said, well, hey, we appreciate your enthusiasm, but you're a little bit too tall for a lady. So uh, there's really <laughs> nothing that we, we, we can do for you. So, so instead, she joined the OSS. Um, and then let's see, as uh, it was shortly after she joined the OSS that she actually uh, became a uh, she became one of the uh, top assistants to the chief of the OSS himself, Wild Bill Donovan. Well, uh, you know, her her uh, her organizational skills and her efficiency skills uh, got the attention of Donovan to the point where uh, he actually transferred her out to the Kunmin station in China and the um, China Burma India theater of World War II. Uh, very intense theater of operations, but it doesn't typically get as much press as either Europe or the Pacific. It tends to be one of the you know, it tends to be one of the mm. forgotten battlefronts of that conflict. Well, uh, the OSS uh, had had a station in Kunming, and uh, she was uh, she was basically responsible for um, all of the all of the clerical work, and uh, that covered a very wide swath of daily operations at the OSS station because, you know, she would organize all of the, all of the different high value targets. She would, uh, she would be able to, uh, you know, she'd be able to pull up any information that any OSS operatives needed on like what bridge junction they needed to destroy. And uh, she could tell you any bits and pieces of information about any, um, any piece of infrastructure, you know, say like, you know, hey, if uh, we need to send an OSS team to destroy uh, this particular bridge or if we need to sabotage this, uh, if, we, if we need to sabotage this dam network, she could tell you how many people traveled over it per day. She could tell wow. you what units were nearby. She could tell you uh, wow. who, the, who the command teams of the local nearby units were. Mm-hmm. She could tell you the location of the nearest access unit, the location of the nearest allied spy network. I mean, she was a... Uh, repository of information that they relied on quite heavily and you know she uh she actually met her future husband in the oss over there yeah so that's I, I come on then she's on tv throwing a chicken around you know no yeah, with a she, smile she still has that stern kind of don't mess with me look yeah but you know steve doesn't she remind you of patricia rutledge in a way Oh yeah, there's a similarity. Yeah, like they there. could be sisters in a sense. Yeah, because they both, oh, you know. Right. Sorry, you know that whole. I went to a. Okay, yeah. Don't start me on that. I'll start singing it, and nobody needs to hear it. But yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting because we just you don't know, hear their stories as much of women, you know, out there doing stuff like that, and yeah, that shows like when we talk about actors and you know the connection between actors. Out in out in the field and war and military, and mm-hmm. uh, out on stage. And then here she is. I mean, she did the stage, and she had to cook in front of people on in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. Like you had you had to get it right. And 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 she did. Well, yeah, because she, those she programs then, they were live. Yeah, I mean, to be able, to, she had to be prepared and know, like, have this prepared. And the chicken has to go for this amount of time, but she did mm-hmm. drop things and just drank a little bit of wine. I mean, she she had a stage presence, but was able to be silly and maintain oh. that organizational skill that you're talking about, of Mike. Course. You know, that was a cool balance of chaos management with good taste. You know, mm-hmm. um, but she, I, I think she threw herself into whatever she really wanted to do. You know, as a it was just she was amazing um 
one other person I wanted to bring up that people may not realize is that um, Jonathan Winters served. And he joined the Marines when he was 17 years old and served two years in the South Pacific. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jonathan Winters to me is a very fascinating person. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And um, I had no idea he served either, you know? Um, I, and I think we, we, you know, when you look at comedians, comedians take, use tragedy and make it into humor, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I think there's something to of, be said for it's that. It's a way of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not to make light of it. I don't think any comedian really wants to make light of war or things like that. They just handing you a way to soften the blow and heal with it. Just like mm -hmm. deal with it. Deal with it. Mm. Yeah. But I could see where it could be offensive to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Speaking right. of Jonathan Winters, that also reminds me, you know, Bob Newhart and Ken Berry, they also served in the military. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. Bob Newhart. Mm -hmm. I know a dog that looks just like Bob Newhart. Nancy's. <laughs> Yeah, the line in the rose uh, bed and breakfast. Go look at their dog photos. Oreo, the dog looks like you, Bob you'll Newhart. see. He looks just like Bob Newhart. He has the same expression. It just cracks me up. Hey, John Amos was also. He was in what? Ruth. Oh, a veteran of the yeah yeah. He was a master honorary master chief of the U.S. Coast Guard. Wow, I mean, it's just absolutely amazing how many people served. And um, and I wonder about like learning, I mean, how to show up and do things. You know, I think that the military teaches you things. What do you think about that, Mike, about learning from the military and applying that to your next career in life? Well, you know, I think that that's what a lot of veterans use to market themselves after they leave, because there are things that you get in the military that you really can't get anywhere else. Or if, if you do get them elsewhere, they're in areas and they're in um, venues and professions that very closely mimic the military lifestyle. You know, there's, uh, there's really something to be said for not only the service ethic, but all of the things that you gain on a metaphysical level, you know, all of the, uh, all of the things, you know, like, like um, team leadership and also project mm -hmm. management and, you know, just being in an environment where, you know, that has that kind of structure and that kind of discipline and where you are expected at many times to improvise and uh, find solutions to what people would normally think to be unsolvable problems. You know, when you, uh, when you take all of those things together and you market yourself forward, that's why a lot of uh, that's why I know a lot of companies out there are very, very keen on hiring veterans. You know, they want someone who has that go getter mm. attitude, who uh, you know <laughs> is able to think on their feet and able to improvise, and you know know when to follow the rules and also know when to bend the rules. Mm. Right. So, oh, and can Steve Mike, doesn't can that I go to? Okay, go ahead. I was just say, Mike, can I ask you a personal question? Okay. Okay. And if you don't want to answer, no. If oh you don't my gosh. Answer, like, oh. Oh, hello. No, but if you don't want to answer, just say decline or whatever. What made you join? Okay. Uh, yeah. That's perfectly okay question. Um, so okay. there were a lot of things that made me want to join. One, uh, I 
always had an interest in it. It was always something that I kind of gravitated towards. I always thought it was really cool. I thought it was uh, something that uh, uh, something that had a uh, had a certain appeal. And not only that, uh, you know, aside from just the natural attraction that I had towards it, I also uh, was inspired by patriotism. Um, you know, I, I grew mm. up with a very deep-seated love of country, and at, at some point, I told myself, "Well, you know, I I love America, but I really can't call myself a patriot in good conscience until I wear the uniform." Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, so it wow. was that, mm-hmm. and also just a uh, a deep-seated, I think, respect for what the generations before me had accomplished. Because I would I would read all these books on World War II, and yeah. I would read about the sacrifices mm-hmm. of our troops in Vietnam. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, you know, this is a uh, this is a this is a very uh, widespread collective brotherhood of people who have uh, who have put service above self, and they wanted to serve something that was bigger than mm-hmm. any one of them were on an individual level. And uh, that's really what inspired me to serve. And I said, well, you know, I don't know if I would do it forever. I don't know if I would make a career. I don't know if I would make a career out of it. Maybe I would. Mm-hmm. But I at least want to be able to say, hey, I served my country. I felt I had a debt to this country and I paid that with my service. Yeah. And, and thank you for that service, Yeah, yeah exactly. it, it, I so respect it. I just want, you know, I wanted to join the waves. And it came as a big shock to me when I attempted to do that, that as a male, you could join after the age of, 17, 18. The military, not the waves. Yeah, now, well, yeah, but the military armed forces, any branch of it. I found out that as uh, as a female, you can join without your parents' consent till you were over 25. Mm. Of course, I don't know if it's still that way, but it was that way when I tried to join, and I was shocked, you know, that, that there was that and I still kind of I hope they've changed that but it's interesting though you know it's just history and what happens through time but it's an interesting thing because I really wanted to go and serve and I wasn't allowed without my parents consent and they wouldn't do that so it's you know but for for a guy yeah you can't and but you know nancy if i went you know you knew me in high school i would have forged their signatures for you perfectly (laughs) yeah it's good (laughs) what a done a good job i'll remember that yeah i mean if you know if you knew me at that time and i knew you at that time you know but i would have taken care of it and you would have gotten into the waves maybe not i don't know no i just really wanted to do that that was a really cool thing Mm -hmm. and i just yeah Mm -hmm. because i was like okay i've I've done high school i'm bored and now i want to go do that and i was shocked at the age of 25 as a woman you could not Joy. I think a yeah, lot of that has changed now. A lot of it I has hope changed so. now. I mean, and you're seeing women in service that are kicking ass. I mean, they're just incredible women. Um, you, you see, I really dated myself there, probably. Uh, yeah, who cares? Um, you know, but I do want to go back to what I was going to ask Steve there. Um, you know, what Mike was saying about 
being in the military, being able to, you know, listen in and then be able to you go under instruction, but then also know when to bend the rules. It, it really and have that discipline, basically. And right. when we look at these actors that we've been talking about, and then you know, folks like you know, uh, you know, B. Arthur, and uh, talking about Julia Childs, mm. I think that it's it's also goes with the creative arts, um, and whether you're performing visual musician, and when you aren't going in that kind of discipline, the arts can can you know can be deathly actually um, for many, and. Um, and and for all sides, you know, military too is, um, mm-hmm. but I think there's something about that discipline going on stage that made a lot of these men and women that we're talking about today successful in that they had that discipline that kept Focus. them focused on, on their career. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, wouldn't you say that's the way, like if, if you lose your way and, in, in, you know, it's so hard in hot, I mean, I don't think it's gotten any easier to get ahead in Hollywood unless you're a socialite kind of thing, but. Um, or unless you have millions of dollars. Yeah. yeah. Right? Or you're born mm-hmm. into it, et cetera, uh, which, you know, sometimes isn't the healthiest thing for you, but don't you think it's that kind of discipline probably rubbed off into their next career as being on stage? and on oh, Of screen? course, I, of course, because, you know, they have to have the discipline to hit their marks, to learn their lines, to be on mm-hmm. time. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love like this, the stories you hear about musicians and actors and oh, they're always like, oh, they trash this hotel, especially back in the 60s. They did this, they did that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, how did they actually end up showing up for their performances yeah and you know you got you you have to take some of the press with a grain of salt and some of it's true a lot of it's not a lot of it did happen they were doing a lot of drugs back then in 60s and 70s yeah i know 70s was pretty drugs i i just look at it as and it was pr it was pr like fleetwood mac and and uh the eagles would check each other in in hotels and under each other's names and then trash hotel rooms so that it's they would blame the other band. Big, it's a big gray area yes. and everything was kind of a joke. Somehow, I don't think military men and women did that in their hotel no, rooms. Right, Mike? Exactly. Am I gonna, I'm going to be kind of right there, like not on purpose, right? Yeah. They wouldn't do it on purpose. I mean, no, stuff can go down Military people wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, get past that, but musicians and actors seem to get past a lot. All right, so we got to wrap this up. Um, this is oh, a very cool conversation. No, 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 no. I'm just going time-wise here. We're, we're doing good. Um, each of you, we, we've left off Elvis Presley. How about that? Mm. Like, mm. Was he a famous uh, RV, Army veteran, Mike, would you say? Like, he he's famously served in the military. Did he even see combat, though? Like, did, Or is he mostly in service, uh, Elvis? Oh, Elvis. Much- yeah. Yeah. So he um, he served from 1958 to 60. So he was forward mm-hmm. stationed in Germany along the mm-hmm. Iron Curtain, but uh, I, I never had any shots yeah. fired. At OK. Well, yeah. In the military. Yeah. No, we don't want him to. Well, either, he went but- in. Yeah. yeah. No, he went in. I mean, that's it, it's famous. It's, I don't it's think true. he had a choice. No, no. And he did a lot. He was a, tr- a truck driver um, prior to that. And 
uh, was doing his music career, then served and then came out. And, and so he's like, it, he, he did a lot. But um, before we go, um, each <laughs> of you, let's think about a movie that you think about the mili a military movie, maybe one of the actors or uh, celebrities that we've talked about in it. So let's start with you, Steve. One of your favorite movies with either a military veteran or a military movie that you really enjoy that you think people should watch. The Best Years of Our Lives. It's about three military men who come home oh. after serving. I don't think we've seen that. What what year? What time frame? Like that's nineteen forty six with okay. um, Frederick March, Dana Andrews, Myrna Loy, and okay. um, Teresa Wright. Oh, okay. I've not seen it. Not yet. Anyway, I but it won a Best Actor Oscar for Frederick March, his second one, and uh, won Best Picture. Mm. So what and about you? Supporting oh, actor. Sorry. Oh. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I didn't know there was another one after that. Ooh. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Mike, what about you? Uh well, one that comes to mind and uh probably one that's a little bit beyond the mainstream is uh there was that 1993 film that came out uh star starring West Studi called Geronimo. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, yeah. So it what was the movie where Wes Studi is, is he is playing the title character of Geronimo in that film. And that's actually one of Matt Damon's first Hollywood appearances. Mm -hmm. Uh, was a, uh, was a great film that was written by John Milius, who also did, uh, also did Red Dawn. But uh, yeah, the, it stands out uh, in my mind, you know, not only as a uh, not not only as a good film of the Indian Wars of the American West, but Wes Studi uh, himself was a Vietnam veteran. Mm. Yeah, I mean he he he's known for he, he's known for playing uh, Native American roles throughout Hollywood. You know, I mean he was uh, uh, he was Magua in Last of the Mohicans, and uh, you know also uh, has has done a string of a string of very high profile films but one of the uh one of the most underrated sleeper hits i think of the early decade was that movie he did on geronimo and uh yeah so it's a uh it's it, it kind of takes two diametrically opposed parts of american history you know you have the backdrop of the vietnam war you know as represented by that vietnam veteran who's the main star of the film and you know, put it against a uh, put it against the military operations of the American West as we were, uh, you know, fighting the uh, uh, fighting the Native Americans out there. Wow! Wow! Good and pick. I, I know. That. I, yeah, I, I want to see that. Excellent. Well, you know, I've I've got to go to Nancy, but there's also a movie that uh, we've got to bring up. Uh, we were soldiers once. Hello. Uh, that was the book, but yeah. when we were soldiers, um, come yeah. on, that we were soldiers. Let me get this straight because there's so much about Hal Moore and everybody. You need to go and uh, watch that movie and uh, also get Mike Guardia's books about Hal Moore. If you go to MikeGuardia.com, just saying, I have, to put, I have to bring Hal Moore into this. I can't not bring him in because he was also, you know, part of that and um, he helped with that, didn't he? Him and his wife. Um, 
helped in that movie and they have director's chairs in the museum in, in Bardstown, Kentucky that mm -hmm. we saw. So um, I just want to bring them up. But yeah, I mean, I think we were soldiers. Uh, that is, a, I remember Nancy and I saw it, what, a year or two years ago, Nancy? Mm -hmm. And we're like, yeah, that's him. <laughs> that's, that's, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not him, but you know what I mean? We're watching, I know it's Mel Gibson, but um, right. it was just after all the years talking about Helmore, going to the museum, reading your books, um, finally seeing the movie. It was like, everybody knows the movie, then, you know, no, this this was it was epic. That was cool to watch. Um, but Nancy, who who are you picking? I like I you know, I had to think about this. Um, I like Midway. Mm -hmm. There's something about that film that made me think about how how insular people can get without thinking that there's a world around them. They're only thinking about their, their town where they are. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know. Somehow, Midway made me think of more than that. And, and I think, you know, sometimes we get so into our own lives, we forget that everything around us impacts us. And... That's a film that shows impact to your life, whether you want it or not, mm -hmm. and whether you think about it or not. And it comes as a big shock to a lot of people because we're so into our own lives and we don't realize, realize that we're connected to everything else around us. And that's where we fall into trouble. Mm -hmm. That's my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. like it or not but i just feel like we forget the connection between us and everything else mm -hmm. and so sometimes i think it's good to be self-centered to promote promote yourself better yourself promote's not the right word but better yourself educate yourself but you have to understand you're not the only person Mm -hmm. and that you're related to everything else, like climate change, everything that's happening on Earth, you have to realize that at some point, it's going to kick you in the butt if you don't realize that it's there. Okay. It'll come as a shock instead of you preparing for it. Mm -hmm. I, like to be, I like to be prepared. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the important thing of Midway, too, is that it's got Dennis Quaid in it, and he's cute. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. No, but I, no, it's a good film. No, I, I want to I give a shout-out to a film that, I, that touched me in the 80s, uh, late, late 80s. It was a 1989 movie, and then I watched it again, like, about five, six, seven years ago. Now I needed to watch it again. Glory. Denzel Washington, oh. Morgan Freeman, Matthew Broderick. Uh, Denzel Washington. Ah, yeah. he was brilliant. Denzel was mm. brilliant in that. Yeah. I mean, Denzel is always brilliant. He's like yeah. perfect, like just he's a he's a just a person of like dude, he is like perfection, like really, in all his movies and everything, he, he is. But mm. like awesome. that movie to me showed history 
in a different way. Um, you bet. I mean, Matthew Broderick's like, come on, mm -hmm. I'm going to leave these black men into war. Like, you know, so um, have you seen this, Mike, Lori? I have. Ah, did mm -hmm. you like it? Or is it, is, or is it, is it accurate? Mm -hmm. It is a true well, story, right? It's based on it, I should say. Yeah, yeah, it's based on it. I mean, you know, I, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a very, I, I think it's a very interesting take on the Civil War and, you know, the foundations of how we improve race relations over time. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. yeah, well, doesn't that just go back to the War of 1812 with Andrew Jackson bringing all the Native Americans in? How did that happen, right? Yeah. Oh, we're out of time. We got to go. All right. So everyone, MikeWardia.com. Keep up with Steve Schneikert on our big blend or on our site, blendradioandtv.com. Just type in Hollywood history. You'll find him there with his amazing Hollywood history segments. Uh, Mike Gordia is here every first uh, Monday. And uh, thank you both for joining us talking about Hollywood history and Hollywood history tied to military service. Thank you all. Keep mm -hmm. up with us at bigblendradio.com. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thanks, guys.